Hey everybody, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like the love child of Cher and Doctor Strange. Always asking the question, if we could turn back time, maybe we could find a way. Today on the show, I'm trying a little experiment. I'm playing with the idea of doing a combined long show at the end of the week, basically taking all of the main segments of the episodes and creating a supercut, essentially. Not cutting, but just literally putting the episodes together to create this one long podcast episode exclusively for the Anchor listeners. And also adding music at the end of each um, for the Anchor listeners, because if you're on Anchor, you can hear uh, full tracks as well as, or just uh, a simple 30-second segments of songs. So I like to pick music that fits the theme of the topic and play with some transitions and sort of use Anchor's built-in features to string things together. And it kind of harkens back to Anchor 2.0, which was a time where it was a little bit more social on Anchor and you were able to do shorter segments and it was often encouraged to do shorter segments so that you can talk about little bits of topics and encourage people to share those topics with each other and um, create this longer conversation. So this episode is about two hours long. It is a combination of all the episodes that have happened this week. It's certainly an experiment. I'm calling it the C-Note Show. And um, this is episode one. So let's see how it goes. I'm not guaranteeing that I'll do this every week. Uh, I'll post it on Sundays and we'll see if you guys like it. So uh, without further ado, C Note Super Show, episode one. Drums, please. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Uh, C-Note, your host here. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about social suicide. And uh, to differentiate... And, and specify what it is that I'm actually talking about. When I refer to social suicide, I'm meaning like completely distancing yourself from people, uh, not about suicide in the traditional way that we know about it. So um, that's kind of your trigger warning. If even the word suicide is a bit troubling for you uh, to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use it too much, but for the most part, I'm not referring to traditional uh, quote unquote suicide. Uh, I'm talking about social suicide. And for me, I've been, you know, in relation to me and what I've been going through lately, I've been trying to sort of rework some of my own career path. Uh, for the most part, most of my life, I have been doing all sorts of work when it comes to uh, client work for graphic design, uh, working in corporate culture, things like that. I'm going to turn down this fan because it's really loud. Um Sorry if that's distracting, but <laughs> I need it because it's a little bit hot. Um, 
uh, so I've worked in corporate culture. I've worked with uh, a lot of clients and I find that as I'm getting older, I'm having just a much more difficult time being social. Like I'm losing all of my energy. I'm being fatigued more physically when I'm spending a lot of time around people. And what I'm really trying to figure out is like how I've been spending time with people to find the right kind of balance or the right way to communicate with people or to have people in my life uh, in a helpful way. And this is kind of in contrast to a previous episode that I did about um, anti-social behavior. I don't remember what I actually called it, but it was about being antisocial and not feeling bad about it. But at the same time, this is the converse converse to that is the idea that, um, you know, being too antisocial is also not good for you. We are social creatures. We want to connect with people naturally and we want people in our lives. And I think that's the frustration that introverts have is not feeling like we can naturally connect with people. Some introverts are better at it. Plenty of introverts um, will connect with the idea of being an empath or emotionally understanding people, but there are plenty of introverts that do not emotionally connect with human beings very well. And uh, some extroverts as well. I'm mostly talking to introverts because I think this applies to introverts uh, much more easily. But for me, you know, in my personal experience as an INTP in the Myers-Briggs system, but also just just an introvert who has um, been essentially trained by a father who is an ESFJ to be a certain way when you're being social. It takes a lot out of me because the type of social behavior that I was taught is very energetic. It's very um, very personable, and and like I feel like I'm all of my senses are heightened, and therefore I just get drained really quickly. So. That's the tr- struggle that I've been having lately is trying to transition away from doing client work or doing client work in a way that manages my energy better. Meaning instead of getting on phone calls or doing video calls or anything like that, I'm literally recording a video of me talking about the process uh, of like creating comps or sketches or research, things like that, and using multimedia tools to help me to still help people, but a little bit more indirectly. So I don't have to manage people energy or emotions or things like that. Um, So I'm continually trying to come up with ways to still be social, still be helpful, still try to make money in ways that allow me to preserve my energy. And that's pretty important because I don't want to commit social suicide. I was starting to, and it was not feeling just as good as having too much social energy. I was distancing myself from people. I don't, I mean, I already naturally don't remember to text people in my life. I don't check in with people. I'm not really good at follow-ups when it comes to business stuff. Um, And, you know, it sounds terrible, but for the most part, like I don't care a lot of the time. I have moments when I care about things, but I don't think about people all the time. I barely, I probably spend five to 10% of my day thinking and caring about people uh, outside of myself and my, uh, you know, me and my girlfriend here at home. You know, I don't, I don't think about it. I just don't naturally think about it. And I don't feel bad about that, which is part of what that previous podcast was about. But also I need to make sure that I'm not isolating and siloing myself away from humanity in a way that's unhealthy. 
So I, I do need to reach out and find new things to do and find ways that feel, cause I, I enjoy being social in the context of playing, you know, if we're playing video games or playing, um, some sort of, uh, uh, doing improv games or at a museum or something that's just fun and we're laughing and we're enjoying stuff like that feels the most natural and energizing to me. If I'm doing anything like work wise or dealing with emotions or anything like that, we're like playing sports. Like sometimes that, that stuff is draining to me. But when I'm playing or playing with ideas or brainstorming, you know, some of my favorite parts of, of uh, my past work experience was I was working at a film marketing agency uh, in Santa Monica called Stradella Road. They're great people, and I think they're still in business. And we were doing um, film marketing stuff for for major films. Uh, anything that came out around 2013 to 2015 is uh, a lot of stuff that I worked on uh, from like Lionsgate and Universal, uh, Walt Disney Animation Studio, uh, Netflix, Hulu, stuff like that. And um, including like 50 Shades of Grey, Big Hero 6, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, things like that. I worked on a, a lot of those campaigns and my favorite parts and the reason that I liked going into the office, cause I had to drive three hours to get there. Uh, cause I lived in San Diego. Uh, my favorite part was being able to brainstorm different ideas because I was always very good at it. And it felt like a, a natural combination of my first two skill sets, which is introverted thinking and extroverted intuition. And for me, that felt really, really good. I loved doing that. I loved being able to get people into a place where we're just like, we're playing, we're playing with ideas. We're just kind of, there's no limitations and we can just take something and just try to make it happen. And that is most invigorating to me. That's a lot of fun. So I need to think about those times and try to translate that into today. You know what, and, and how does that work for you? You know, if you're an introvert, what version of extroversion feels natural to you? Because we have a fa we favor introversion, but if you're going by the Myers-Briggs system, we have a secondary function, which is going to be the opposite attitude, which is going to be extroversion. So if we're employing that secondary uh, attitude, that secondary uh, function in our lives, what does that look like for you? You know, do you feel happiest when you're coming up with like, systems and structures and planning and lists and, and trying to get or, you know, organize things, or do you prefer to harmonize with people and be empathic and have emotional conversations? Or do you like doing kinesthetic things? You know, do you like going out there and like playing sports, going to the gym, working out, stuff like that? You know, what feels the best to you and, you know, lean into that because completely distancing ourselves from people and extroverting uh, in any kind of way is more harmful than good. And, you know, really, if we're an introvert, that secondary function is going to be the place where you're going to find and experience the greatest sense of growth. It's going to be the greatest opportunity for growth because like we can only be in our heads for so long, right? There is a reality that we form within our brains that feels rich and it feels great and it feels comfortable. So like we like being there, there's no problem there, but sometimes the outside world is what's scary and being able to find your armor 
your best way of presenting yourself to the outside world or getting out there is to uh, to allow yourself the opportunity you know to to by learning that you're allowing yourself the opportunity to to grow in a way that feels natural to you you know and that, and that's important you know and, and that's what I try to do on this show is like try to encourage you to look at the specific and individual traits that you have because I can talk about introversion all I want but introversion doesn't mean anything if you don't have anything specific beyond that because it's still a catch-all statement. You know, if you're, if you're speaking about introverts and extroverts, that's applying, that's putting yourself in the bucket with 50% of humanity. That doesn't tell you anything. That only tells you, you prefer one style over another. So what else is there, you know, diving in more. And I think that's where people start to get discouraged is like, I only appeal as an introvert. I don't really know what that means. That just means based on society or what I understand that I don't like people and I don't want to be around people, you know, because some introverts want to be around people. Some, some introverts don't. So there's another bucket to think about. And then there are introverts that prefer to think about uh, memories and, and live in social safety and have routines and structures. And then there are others that, prefer to daydream and not necessarily be in the moment. So it's, it's about identifying, you know, further down, like what is more specific to you? Are you an intuitive? Are you a sensor? Are you thinker? Are you feeler? Uh, Again, this is all Myers-Briggs system stuff, but the, the general notion is that there is more to you than just these vague labels and these vague ideas of something, even within the Myers-Briggs system, if you figure out your four-letter code and then your cognitive functions, there are still levels of maturity to consider. There's cultural upbringing and how that affects you. There's bias that has been placed on you throughout your life. There's all sorts of things to consider when it comes to you know, even learning whether or not you're an introvert and what to do with that. You know, I think some things are universally true the idea that humans are social creatures, we, we, we live off of it. We thrive off of it. It's the reason that we have communities and cities and rules and structures, but dreams and intuition and uh, new ideas and things that make humanity better because we care about people as a whole, even though we conflict within, um, you know, within minor circles or, or even big swaths of the world, we're still human beings. And, the problems that we face often come from forgetting that we're humans, that we are all are all are part of one big ecosystem and we all have strengths to bring to the table. So that if you can understand that yourself as an introvert is one type of person, you can allow yourself to be surrounded by other types of that same type of person or to better interact with different types of person, people, you know, maybe you need, maybe you realize that you're, a certain type of type of introvert or extrovert, and you need to kind of supplement your thinking with someone who is a slightly different type. You know, it, it kind of helps you to, to see the world in that light and, and allow yourself to be able to move uh, in, in a direction that can be a little bit uncomfortable because it's going to be uncomfortable. You know, if you're, especially if you're an introvert, you know, going out into the world is going to be uncomfortable. There's a reason that the dominant and tertiary 
loop exists again in the Myers-Briggs system of cognitive functions because you're introverted, your dominant and your tertiary are both going to be introvert functions. So it's a place of comfort. You know, you're going to go there because it's what you know, and you're going to allow yourself to convince yourself to stay within that attitude. But the growth really comes from getting uncomfortable, you know, and for introverts, that means figuring out what type of extrovert you are. And uh, that's going to take experimentation. That's going to take peopling. Really, the past few days, I've um, I tried Uber. I've been trying to do that to like make some quick money, and it's really been killing my energy. I've done it. I would do it for two hours, and then I feel like I'm just done for the day. Meaning, I get home and I can't do anything else. It's been hard to do these podcasts. I'm recording this uh, like three days before it goes up but I haven't had a lot of time to do it or I haven't had a lot of energy. I haven't felt the natural urge to record these podcasts because I've just been so drained. And sometimes talking is a bit of an emotional thing. And sometimes it's about connecting with people. So it feels like it's an, there's an extrovert attitude to it. You know, I'm talking to you, but I'm, I'm kind of talking to myself. I'm sitting here in my apartment, like talking, but I know I'm talking to people on the other end. You're listening. And uh, I appreciate that. <clears throat> but um, for the most part, it's it, it feels like I have to figure out where to put my extrovert energy and not just say, screw it and ignore any bit of extroversion in my life or anything involving people. Because that's, again, you're committing social suicide and closing yourself off from the world, closing yourself off from the potential to grow as a person, to expose yourself to different ideas and new attitudes and new things. Um, that's not helpful either, but you do get to control how, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert like someone else. You need to be your version of extroversion and learn how to do that. That's going to involve trial and error where you can take the Myers-Briggs test and start to learn about cognitive functions. But if you don't want to do all of that, then it's going to involve experimenting. You know, what things have, think about your past, you know, what things have you experienced and you've enjoyed in your life that involve other people? You know, do you like having conversations? Do you like playing? Do you like doing sports? Do you like to do, do you like to dream about different ideas? Do you like brainstorm sessions? You know, do you want to have coffee with people one-on-one? -on -one? You know, I, I mean, even that counts. It doesn't have to be this big extreme thing. You don't have to go to a big rave, you know, just do a little thing. And it's going to take a little bit of time. I feel like for me, it's going to take some time to get back into the flow of things and feel like I can be my most natural sense of being an extrovert without it draining every sense of me. And I think the trouble that I'm going to have is that the extrovert that I've been trained to be, it doesn't naturally resonate with me. Meaning, you know, my dad being a businessman and a sales guy and naturally being an extrovert and an ESFJ, I'm pretty sure. Um, he, instilled a lot of those values in me and I've kind of subconsciously copycatted him so that when I'm out in public, I'm using those skills. I'm using that strength and I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, but when it is infused with my natural sense of being, it's draining. So I have to find ways to temper that maybe not so go, not go so hard when I'm extroverting and, or expect so much. 
from people and find a better balance. You know, it's, it's going to take time and I'm sure I'll talk about it on the show as we continue to go along, but it's, it's been really difficult lately. Uh, and I've really been playing with that. I, I'm also playing with like the idea that there's a, there's complex PTSD attached to everything that I do. I feel that way. I feel like there's madness <laughs> to everything. There's baggage in every area of my life and I'm having to unpack a lot of stuff and um, it's incredibly frustrating. I'm, I'm grateful to my partner, Molly, for being there for me and really being patient with me while I figure a lot of this stuff out. It's involving, you know, we have to deal with some money troubles because I'm not as naturally tuned to want to do one thing or another. Like I can't do the the grind anymore without it affecting my mental health. So it's, it's a challenge. Um, but I know for a fact that I should not commit social suicide, that my support system is important to me. Having people around is good. Um, not everyone is as scary as we kind of make it out to be in our heads. I know for me, like it's definitely not as scary. Um, I've, I took 12 Uber rides in the past few days and they were all really nice people. They were either, they either didn't talk at all or when they did speak, it was, you know, really lovely conversation. They were really nice and it was, it was easy. So, um, it's just after it was done, I felt like I was awash with like feeling exhausted and I just couldn't do it anymore. So you know, the people part of it is not the problem. It's the association with the people, how you people, how you connect with people, you know, and it's, it's going to be a, a trial and error thing. So um, with that, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, let me know if, if you've ever experienced this, if it's something that you've had trouble with uh, maintaining relationships. And again, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's important to make sure that you're not trying to fill relationships in the way that you've been taught or that way that other people want you to, and to try to teach yourself what, and listen to yourself as to what feels natural, you know, try something, feel it out, feel if it feels right. And then if that doesn't work, try something else, you know, try playing with people, try improving, try brainstorming, try um, working with people on projects, you know, maybe try just having a casual conversation over coffee. Um, maybe try opening, opening up to someone emotionally, uh, and see if that's something that resonates with you. It really kind of, it, it depends on, on the context. So, um, with that, um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you to go do your thing. You know, if you're inside listening to this, you know, go for a walk, go to a coffee shop, at least talk to the barista or something, say hi, or prepare a joke or I don't know, something about the weather. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I know we hate small talk, but sometimes it's a good skill to have. And, um, you know, go try something, you know? So, um, just to let you guys know, I do have Myers-Briggs courses. So I talked about that a little bit on this episode. You can go to cnote.media to check out my podcast course and, uh, Myers-Briggs courses. If you want to jump into the advanced course, you can go to supermbti.training and sign up there, but there is a free version of the course at cnote.media that you can sign up. And it's like three hours of 
an introduction to Myers-Briggs that can help you understand your personality type a little bit better. Um, other than that, you know, if you're listening to this show randomly somewhere else, <clears throat> go to dopamine.life and subscribe. And then you can hit me up at Rival My Design on all the social channels. Uh, please leave a review if you would like. Share the show if you really like this episode. And um, that's about it. That's all I can think of for right now. There's probably going to be more things in the future. I still want to do YouTube channel stuff. I haven't figured out what that looks like yet. Um, I get a lot of ideas in my head for what I want to do and then reality hits and I don't have the energy for it or the time. So we'll see what happens, but stay tuned. I appreciate you for listening. Thank you guys for always being here. Um, we've had another really good month. Uh, we're sticking to around between four to 6,000 listens a month. So that consistency is really nice. Uh, it certainly helps to share the episode and, uh, share, what you can with other people so that we can continue to make this the thing. So thank you guys. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll catch you next time on dopamine. Hey everybody. So today on the show, I wanted to talk about, um, well, I, I'm, I, first of all, I want to apologize for a little bit of the lower energy for this episode. I'm kind of going through a bit of a difficult, uh, moment in time, just the past few days, really the past week or so, probably the past week, um, I've been feeling pretty low energy, a little bit lost. Um, I've been, you know, I've been trying to reframe some of my career trajectory and really trying hard to not give into a lot of things that I've done in my past, you know, going back into places of safety and doing things just to feel safe. Uh, I like to continue to try to push boundaries and utilize my strengths of being an introverted thinker and create courses and try to create products and try to make interesting stuff and continue to do this podcast and stuff like that. Uh, so I've been having some, some money issues. I've been dealing with sort of some PTSD, also some complex PTSD to be specific about this time last year, I, w I was having some difficult times, uh, w in my life. I was in California still, and I was just not feeling great in the past. Summers have always been difficult for me. Uh, emotionally, I've always been more of an introvert. So having to go outside has felt, it feels like a pressure thing. Like I need to be having a lot more fun than I want to, <laughs> you know, I like to spend time inside. I have no qualms about, uh, uh, not going out and, and doing beach things and being physical. Like I don't care. It's just not my thing, but I can't help but feel weird or feel out of place when the rest of society is in love with being outside and in love with doing things. Um, uh, out there. And I just feel like I'm weird. And I know that's not exclusive to me. I know plenty of introverts feel that way. I know plenty of people in the world have felt that way, but I'm, I'm kind of just sharing my own personal experience with that. And really what I'm going through and what I want to talk about on this episode is this feeling of, of realizing that what I feel is, is a, is a temporary thing that right now is how I feel like, so when somebody says something to the effect of we, we try to basically attach emotions to generalized feelings to the grander scheme of things. So when someone says like, I'm not happy, 
That just means to them, that could be anything that could be, I'm not happy now. I'm not, or I'm not happy forever. I've never been happy. I'm not a happy person, that sort of thing. But I find that what's been helping me push through is to attach right now to the end of things. I'm not happy right now. I'm depressed right now. I'm not feeling great about life right now. I'm having money issues right now. I'm, I feel like a financial burden right now. I feel like I'm unreliable right now. Any kind of emotion that you're having, attach the term right now to it. Because I think when we don't do that, we, we kind of feel this sense of impending doom that comes with it. And I say we, but I'm really talking about me. I can only really talk from my experience, though I have spoken to other people and, and I'm, I'm also sharing this based on what I've noticed from out in the world and people talking about their emotions is that people tend to, to, to be so reductive in their emotional experience that they, they end up making it so broad and so abstract that it's, it's harmful. It feels hopeless when something feels, when you say something like, I'm not happy, that feels big. That feels out of control. That feels like I will never fix that. That feels impossible. That feels like it's just too much to take on. And when we're able to attach right now to the end of that, I feel like it distills it down. It gives it a sense of focus. It gives you the ability to look at it right now in this moment and say, okay, I'm not happy right now. How can I deal with this right now? How, what can I, you know, because when you're, when you're feeling upset, when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling hopeless in any kind of sense, we tend to feel like we're a burden. You know, people that have died by suicide have often felt that they were a burden to their family and friends and that they feel like their family and friends would be better without them. And to avoid us getting to that place, attaching right now allows us to distill it to this moment and to not use assumptive language in other areas of our life. Because, you know, as unfortunate as it is, saying that we would be a burden to anyone is an assumptive thing. We are assuming based on the information that we've gathered, but we don't know that for sure unless you've talked to your family. And even if so, if you feel like you're a burden, then you can separate yourself from the situation, not by death, but physically or emotionally, or give yourself the time to work through something. Now, I understand it's it's a lot more difficult when it comes to long-term depression. This is stuff that I've also been dealing with my entire life. And to not feel like a burden every single day is really difficult. But I continue to make adjustments and I continue to be, to try to be aware of the nuances of my emotions day in and day out. Because again, there are still levels and nuances to depression that maybe we don't consider and we don't think about. You know, the, depression manifests in different ways. So, you know, you might have a day where you're feeling like, I can't get out of bed today. Let me focus on that. I need to eat something. Let me focus on that. What am I feeling right now? You know, even if you are overall depressed in terms of big picture thinking, what is the emotion right now that you have? Or what is the need that you have right now? You know, I need to be alone right now. 
I need to eat something right now, which I feel I eat something right now. <laughs> um, you know, where, what do I want to do right now? Where do I want to go right now? And kind of keeping things in the moment helps, helps it to not feel so scary because even if you're going from moment to moment and like the first moment feels the same as the next, there are going to be fluctuations. And, and I think if you can start to apply right now language to your emotional experiences, to what you want in life, things like that, you can start to see the beauty and the nuances in day-to-day feelings and day-to-day emotions and day-to-day experiences. Because, you know, I'm, I'm right now, I am at the lake. I am sitting here. I, I, this morning I was having, uh, definitely a mental weight. I didn't really know how to express it. So, which I need to go back to Molly and be a little bit more straightforward with her about how I'm feeling. She's always awesome about listening to me, but I think lately I've been kind of brushing it off and that's not helpful for our relationship. So I need to be a little bit more clear. Um, but this morning I got up, um, pretty early and my plan was to go to the gym and I put on my shoes, went downstairs, got into my car I was already limping because my ankle has been a big problem with me lately. It's it's a big issue with mental health wise because I feel like I I can't go anywhere, and you know right now I feel really terrible about it. Like I just I decided to not go to the gym. I also forgot my headphones, which we all know that's discouraging. <laughs> um, and I decided to to just go to the lake, which is we live near near lake near Lake Ontario. And I'm actually facing the bay, not the lake. The lake's the other direction, but whatever. It's a body of water. doesn't matter to me. Uh, And uh, I decided to come here and sit and record this podcast episode, listen to some music, and just kind of be for a little bit. Because right now, I just, I feel like I wanted to be alone. Right now, I felt like I needed to take the time to process my emotions and not be sort of not feel like I'm a burden to anyone else or not feel like I'm being burdened by anyone else uh, in terms of, uh, client requests or anything like that. Like I just need everything to shut off, you know, and, um, taking that time is important. If it involves you having to wake up earlier, do it. Um, if it involves, uh, doing something later at night or during the day, or like, you know, if you're, if your partner likes to go to bed at a certain time and you usually go to bed together, like say, Hey, I'm going to stay up about an hour and spend that time to yourself. If you're a person that needs that time to yourself, just the point is to, to address your emotions and your feelings right now, not stop what you're doing, but I mean, just to be honest with your emotions and be honest that it is a right now thing. Even if you know that it's going to be a feeling that you're going to have tomorrow or feel like you've had this feeling over the past few days or whatever, it's still important to acknowledge that, okay, right now I feel sad. It's kind of like when you're, when you're, it's like when you get a, a, like a sore throat and suddenly you feel like you take for granted all the times you don't have a sore throat. <laughs> it's almost like, even if you're having a good day, you know, saying I'm happy right now and this is great because I, again, I think people attach emotions, especially happiness or not happy or not happy to a grander scheme in life. You know, a lot of people treat happiness as if it's a a lever you switch and suddenly you're happy for the rest of your life. 
I think we've been misinformed by fairy tales. Uh, and, you know, it's a day-to-day taking stock in your life. And honestly, it is a way to to work on appreciating your life every single moment and every single day. Because we live a very, very long life when we choose to appreciate all of those moments. But if we're just kind of coasting and we're attaching broad emotions and the broad scheme of life to a singular feeling or thinking about I'm happy this week or happy this month or happy this year or last year sucked, this year's better. If we're thinking in the scope of years, it's almost like we're make, we're, we're skipping swaths of time. It's really about finding ways to distill it down to every day so that you're appreciating every day a little bit more. You know, how do you feel right now? Literally, when you're listening to this podcast, how do you feel right now? And if you need to, you know, set alarms on your phone to assess that, you know, maybe every few hours, like every three hours, set something on your phone, a reminder to ask, how do you feel right now? Or what's going on right now? Depending on uh, what you are trying to assess, you know, yeah, or just, or just put right now so that it's something that whatever it is that you're doing, you stop for a moment, you take it in and you say, okay, I'm at the lake. I'm with my friends. I'm with people I love. I'm feeling depressed right now, or I'm feeling happy right now, or I'm hungry right now. It doesn't have to be a deep, meaningful thing. It just has to be this moment in time where everything distills and everything stops. And you're just able to say, you know, how do you feel inside? How do you feel outside? How do you feel in the scope of the day? How do you feel in this moment? I shouldn't even say the scope of the day. How do you feel in this moment? Are you sad? Are you happy? Are you relieved? Are you horny? Are you hangry? Are you, are you, um, longing to go somewhere? Are you bored? Are, you know, sometimes even taking stock in that, uh, in your boredom can say like, okay, I'm bored. I've been wasting too much time. I should go do something interesting or I should go, go for a run or go for a walk or drive somewhere or go to the lake or record a podcast or watch some baseball or whatever. And taking stock in the moment will kind of, you know, I I have those moments when I'm like watching too many YouTube videos and I just stop and I'm like, what am I doing? This doesn't feel good anymore. And I'm still doing it. I think it's helpful for those who have like minor addictions when you have things like, like that, you know, like especially FOMO things or social media things where you're just scrolling on social media and you're just like, what am I doing? And you know, it becomes, it, it's, it's like a pattern disruptor, basically being able to ask yourself right now, what is it? What do I feel? What is this in this moment? Who am I? And it's a pattern disrupt. It, it keeps you from just blindly scrolling and doing repeatable things. And it all kind of leads back to this feeling I was talking about at the top of the podcast is like, I don't want to go back into old habits. I don't want to go back into this feeling of safety because I need money and I know I need money and I know it's important to pay the bills that way. But I also know that getting a job feels terrible So even if I do make money, it's got to be on my terms somehow. And there's always a way for me to figure out how to do that. So to give in to things that make me miserable is not going to help. 
I, I changed my entire life to not be miserable. So to go back into old habits feels like would feel terrible for me. So I'm, I'm trying to take stock in that right now and make sure that I, I do that all the time. You know, I've been wrestling with this idea of like, Oh, maybe I should just Uber for a while or whatever. But then literally that same day, I got a message from someone who needed a logo design and I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Perfect. Like, you know, those are moments that feel serendipitous. Uh, and uh, make me, I don't know, just give me a jolt of, of confidence. Like I know what I'm doing. I just need to reach out to the right people. I need to utilize my skill set and not be so scared, not be scared of not being able to do it. And that is the feeling that I'm feeling right now is fear of failing, fear of making every change that I've made not feel like it was worth it. And it feels worth it. I love my life now. I love everything that is going on. You know, being with Molly is great. Being in front of this lake is great. Doing this podcast is great. Uh, doing the work that I do for Myers-Briggs courses has been feeling really great. And um, I want to stay that path. So I feel like I think that that need for safety is a threat to my existence right now. And uh, it's important for me to take stock of that. So that's how I feel right now. And what I can do about that is to continue to reach out to my resources that I need to make me feel a little bit better, to try to get some sales. And, you know, I, even though like rent is due like six days from now, I can make the money in six days. <laughs> I just need to focus on now because I feel like when I focus on, when I focus too far ahead, even days ahead, sometimes I can get arrested by it, especially when things are looming, when you've got bills you've got to pay. I've got a child support hearing on August 14th. Like if I just think about that stuff, I feel like I would just be laying in bed, like waiting for it to happen instead of living my life and doing things. So allowing me to stop and say, okay, that's not important right now. What is important right now? What is my feeling right now? What is important right now? What can I do right now? And helping, helping myself to be more in the moment is, is a game changer. It truly is. Uh, so that's usually when I decide to do podcasts is when I, I, I take a moment to say like right now, what is this feeling? What am I working through? And then like a podcast idea comes and then I just, I pull over somewhere or I find a place where I am. If I'm at home, I'll go stand in front of the microphone and just start recording. <laughs> so you know, sometimes taking stock right now can give you a sense of direction. Even if the feeling you're feeling right now is not a good feeling, being honest with yourself about that is a really good start. It's a good place to at least stake, take stock, be honest, and be real about what it is you're going through. If you need to write things down, then absolutely do that. That certainly helps people too. If you feel like you need to call a friend, call a friend. If you need to uh, go for a walk, go do that. Even if you don't have any friends, go to Starbucks and strike a conversation up with the barista. Like even a small talk conversation can sometimes feel good. Or like, I don't know, look up a joke or something and go find someone and tell them a joke. I don't know. There's, there's ways. <laughs> there's always a way. Um, so uh, I'm going to wrap this up. 
but because right now I have to think about what I'm going to uh, to be doing for the next half hour. I need to go back home and pick up Molly to take her to work. So, yeah, good times. Um, uh, yep, that's it. So uh, I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode and for checking out uh, subscribing to the show if you have. If you have not and you're hearing this on some other platform, go to dopamine.life. Subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, leave a review. That would absolutely be helpful for me. And if you go to cnote.media, you'll be able to find my podcast course as well as my Myers-Briggs courses. Uh, I have a, um, a free easy mode course and then I have an advanced course that is $99. You can go check that out at cnote.media and... Um, that is all I have to promote for today. But uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for continuing to listen to this show. Uh, your support is what keeps me going and gives me an outlet to have these discussions and be able to talk through what I'm going through in life. And you guys being there is like we're just kind of sitting together having coffee and talking about it. So, And you're letting me talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, go figure out what's going on for you right now and, uh, you know, do something about it. So that's it. I'll talk to you guys later. One. <clears throat> hey everybody, welcome to the show. And uh, with me, I have Jessica Olbin. I said that right, right, Olbin? Yeah, yeah. All right. So welcome. Say hi to people. Hello, people. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, and if you've had any experience personally with mental health or working in mental health in any kind of way. Sure. Um, I'm Jessica Olbin, and I am a growth and development strategist. Um, I help businesses um, unfuck their chaos um, <laughs> with plans and procedures. Uh -huh. um, I work a lot on mindset and uh, developmental strategies and operational strategies. Mm -hmm. um, I personally have struggled, um, not necessarily, I guess, I have some mindset uh, struggles at times. Uh -huh. um, I do enjoy my monthly therapy session. Um, so I um, really find um, a great, uh, safe uh, community in what you've built, Christian. Awesome. Um, I, um, my husband is actually a recovering alcoholic. Um, he's been sober for six years. Uh -huh. um, so we work on a lot of things um, in our relationship and personally um, in regards to mental health um, right. because of that. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's a couple interesting things to kind of uh, talk about there. So the first one being uh, this creepy lighting that I have going on <laughs> because I have nowhere to put my light. So uh, this is how you light for a horror movie, guys. Um, and uh, second of all, uh, I wanted to ask about the shift into the whole unfuck yourself stuff, which um, for those of you in the community or following in the gorilla group, um, that's something that I think you and James kind of started working through, James Gaffney. and. It makes sense as it's something that's like kind of developed. Uh, so how does that kind of come together and how did you start to realize that that's something you can put into your your forward motion? Sure. Um, I've been in business um, as a, gro a growth strategist, a consultant for about mm -hmm. a little bit over a year now. Right. Um, and I was working um, with business owners um, in regards to social media strategies and operational strategies. And um, I've noticed... Um, 
because I brought my business online at the first mm -hmm. of this year, I was offline until then. Right. Um, I've noticed a number of um, entrepreneurs that I'm close with struggling um, with organization um, and feeling chaos and overwhelm. Right. And um, that is a skill set that I have that I rock at. So that's why I decided to uh, do the shift. Nice. Um, so James is an amazing uh, designer. Uh, he actually redid my logo for me. Okay. And um, we had a call and basically um, realized that I'm an unfucker, um, that I was able <laughs> to unfuck his chaos. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what brought it about, I guess. Yeah, that, you know, that's interesting. Um, did that require, you know, personal introspection or was it just like kind of like a really quick sort of like, you know what, this makes sense. Let's go. Yeah, um, it's something that I've done before, but I never really coined like the branding of right. unfuckery, really, uh -huh. um, which <clears throat> was actually a little bit difficult for me to embrace. Um, mm -hmm. I have a corporate background. I worked in corporate for about 15 years. Okay. Um, so I um, am, was used to um, being professional and being someone that really wasn't me, uh, maybe me, but more professional. Okay. Um, so... Um, I finally was able to embrace me and realize that I wanted to work with people like me and mm -hmm. I shut down my corporate brain, I think a little bit, um, which still comes out in my copy that I write. Um, right. but, um, I think it was just, um, also too, I've become more self-aware in the last six months right? and that kind of epiphany has led me to realize that I have this skill set um, and then I kind of unfuck things wherever I go, but I really right. wasn't marketing it or selling it, I guess. Right. It's kind of like a unique kind of, uh, you know, a projection of your personality, which is nice. Um, and for those who don't know, James Gaffney, we've, I did an interview with him uh, a few months ago. So if you go earlier into the podcast uh, down in the uh, description, there's, there's more, I'll probably link directly to that podcast, which was really good. Um, I'm going to meet with him again in a few weeks to talk a little bit more about um, mental health stuff with him. But we talked a lot about design and branding and stuff in that episode. Um, but uh, I wanted to kind of move forward into uh, monthly therapy sessions. Um, that aspect of, so, so do you go to therapy? What, what reasons, I guess, do you go to therapy for? Um, when I first started going to, I had never been to therapy before maybe a year ago. Um, right. I was a part of um, a group that's called Celebrate Recovery. Um, it is a um, Christ-centered repo um, recovery program, uh -huh. um, much like um, AA or NA, um, where there's, you know, small groups and sharing. Um, and um, when my, my husband first started his recovery process, um, it mm -hmm. definitely gave me an outlet um, to feel comfortable in. <clears throat> and I really didn't find a lot of people like me, um, people that I had the same mindset um, of. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started going to therapy, just to have an outlet um, right. to get um, outsider feedback, I guess. And right. it literally was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, it's helped me become more self-aware. Right. Um, 
helped me um, be able to work through a lot of things um, internally um, and realize why I'm doing things externally. Right. Um, plus, I'm a mom of two small kids, um, a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, so making sure that I had a firm grasp on my mental health um, mm -hmm. and being able to project that into um, their little brains um, right. and raising them uh, the way that I felt was right. Um, it helps me keep grounded and know where I'm going, I guess. What do you feel the timetable has been for this, this kind of deeper level of introspection that you've been doing lately? You, you mentioned since kind of January, is, is, has it been a little bit before then? Um, or is it more of a recent phenomenon that you've both been focusing on your introspection and mental health and therapy and stuff like that? I believe I was stuck on a plateau of um, independence uh -huh. up until um, about January or so. And then I leveled up to the interdependence um, realm, I guess, uh -huh. where I feel comfortable relying on other people um, mm -hmm. to help me through things or just be there for me. Um, right. I am an extrovert, but I have um, introverted tendencies. I really mm -hmm. don't like people um, right. <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh -huh. um, but um, moving into that realm of interdependence and realizing that not all people suck um, and mm -hmm. having um, a group, a tribe um, of supporters is really important. Yeah, uh, um, and that's, that's, uh, that's a huge way to move forward, um, especially when it comes to being uh, with someone who has, you know, suffered uh, uh, the difficulties of alcoholism or any kind of addiction. Um, this is not something that we've actually covered much on this show. So that's why I love this opportunity to have you on to talk about it. Um, how has th this affected you, your understanding, your working with your partner? Um, uh, just kind of, I guess, an overview of, of where you're at in terms of of being the supportive partner of someone, does it take a toll on you? Uh, how have you adjusted to um, this knowledge of, of, of the situation with them? Um, it's kind of a roller coaster. Um, uh -huh. I wasn't self aware for the longest time of mm. what I needed to do, um, what role I could play. Right. Um, I kind of just took a step back um, and I feel like was a little bit selfish at first. Um, thinking it's someone else's issue, let them work through it, you right. know, whatever. Um, but in all actuality, you have to relearn um, how to be present for someone. Um, so it's a, um, it's a daily thing. It's an ever-changing daily thing. Um, right. Sometimes it's an easy thing and sometimes it's really difficult. Right. Um, but, but finding um, like people who have been in my shoes um, really helps to have the support and um, guidance. And it just, I guess, back and forth with um, has been really helpful. Um, it's something that I'm still working on and I think mm -hmm. I will be working on for a really long time. Um, yeah. But I'm now self-aware and making strides, I guess, on that front. Do you feel like throughout the process of, of working through this that you may have taken on um, more responsibility or burden than, than you probably should? Uh, being with, you know, some people feel this, this feeling of like, okay, I need to help my partner or fix my partner or be less of myself in order to be more for someone else. Um, have you experienced that and, and what's that been like for you? Um, a lot of it is um, there's like a codependency, I think. Uh-huh 
struggle with it. Um, it's not that I feel responsible um, because obviously I'm only responsible for my happiness and, you know, my feelings, I guess. Um, right. But it's hard to realize that. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think, yeah. Um, you you want to nurture their growth, but you don't necessarily want to, uh, uh, you know, hold their hand throughout the entire process. You need to give them room to grow. On their and own it's hard as well. to know how to. It's hard to know how to do that. It's hard right. to know where to step in, where to. You know, I don't. I'm not a therapist. You know, I don't. Right. I can't. You know, give advice. I've never been through it before, so it's right. hard to say. You know, I would do this, or maybe you should do this. And um, I feel like, um, especially as a mom, or maybe mm -hmm. even my personality, like um, I'm not necessarily controlling, but there is a certain like vision. You know what I mean? That I have, or even as parents, that we have right. our right. things. Um, yeah. So it's been very difficult for me to um, step out of the shoes and um, just kind of um, be how I need to be in the situation. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, you know, we've we've talked about I've talked about on this show about you know taking personal responsibility as someone who is either suffering from addiction or depression or anything that you know, what you're dealing with is not someone else's responsibility, but also, you know, it's a tough balance to work between asking for help and not leaning too heavily on someone. Um, and at the, at the risk of getting too personal, <laughs> uh, you know, do, do you ever, do you ever feel like, um, I guess this is an extension of the burden question, like what responsibilities have you felt that you've needed to take on to be helpful? Um, or, or do you feel like you just need to like, step back and let things, uh, 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 you know, let him work out his own path. Just recently within the last couple of weeks, I feel like I've pulled back from the situation, um, to mm -hmm. kind of let him work out his own path or, or feel what he needs to feel and let that out, um, in the whatever way he feels necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, um, I hate to use the word sacrifice, but I am more than willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. my free time or my wants or desires, mm -hmm. um, to enable him, um, another outlet mm -hmm. for his stress relief. So if that means that, um, he, I, I need to take on the handling the kids for him to go work out or go play golf or go do something. Right. Um, that's important to me because mm -hmm. I know that that will help his progress of feeling more comfortable or normal. I feel like one thing that <clears throat> alcoholics or even people with addictions that are mm -hmm. recovering um, or sober, they struggle with being normal, um, mm -hmm. especially drinking because, right. um, uh Oh, I think I, oh, there you go. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I thought I lost you for a second. Carry on. <laughs> so drinking is all around. Um, it's on commercials. People are at restaurants having a couple drinks, you know, friends go out and have a couple drinks. Um, right. you know, people go to the lake and have a few drinks. And so, um, that's a part of normal life. Um, so, enabling him to, you know, do the things that he feels happy about or makes him, you know, 
enjoy his sobriety um, right. is important to me. So I'm more than willing to, you know, sacrifice things in order to, to make that happen. Yeah, I, I would almost offer the word uh, support as opposed to sacrifice. I think a, a lot of people use the word sacrifice and it's kind of like, it's it's kind of like the catch-all that everyone uses uh, uh, when it comes to relationships or whatever, like, because, you know, it's a partnership and you have to, you got to meet in the middle. So there are some quote unquote sacrifices, but it, it just feels a little more nurturing if we use the word support, which is something that I want to try to like help with through this podcast also mm -hmm. is that, you know, we're supporting our partner because you care about him and, and it's not about sacrificing who you are uh, uh, to, to be less of who you are, but I use your strengths to connect with him and help him and help him grow so that that'll kind of give you the room to grow also because mm -hmm. sacrifice kind of feels like it has a little bit of resentment uh, yeah. with it. Um, and I guess I could ask that. Do you feel like there's any sense of resentment there? Or, or if, if you're comfortable asking. It's yeah, no, that actually, that's a really great question. Uh -huh. um, I feel like in the beginning, um, I had a lot of resentment from, you know, the behaviors that he, you know, was exhibiting or um, what he was coming from. Yeah. And letting go of that resentment um, was a huge thing for me. Um, I feel no resentment, actually. And I feel like um, it's great that you asked that because I feel like sometimes he thinks I have resentment. Like, right. right damn you, I have to stay here and do this. So you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. not fair or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I realize the importance of my support. Right. And I am not upset or harbor any negativity because of it. So right. um, I think that that was, you know, a staple um, holding the resentment and harboring it just, you know, made him a trigger for me or made certain things a trigger. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as I was able to let go of that, um, it's obviously more freeing and more, it makes me feel happier. Um, right. But um, I think no matter how many times I say it or uh, try to express that I am totally fine with it, it's still, I think, something that weighs on him that I feel resentment or upset because of it. Yeah, you know, and um, I think even for you, reframing things as support versus sacrifice will will kind of help to communicate that a little bit better, not to like be your therapist in this podcast, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, from what I've gathered in talking to so many people at this point, um, you know, that's, that's kind of a big mental shift and it kind of helps even in little behaviors, whether you realize it or not. And, you know, I, I'm not there, so I don't know, but you know, sometimes when you're even describing it as a sacrifice, you may be even doing subtle things that you're not aware of. So it kind of helps for you and anyone listening to like try to reframe it as support. Because I think, I think also, you know, we're battling ourselves versus society's expectations of certain things, but also our spouse or partner is doing the same thing. You know, they're, they're battling their perceptions or sometimes they have preconceived notions of like, okay, I've seen someone else's wife have this kind of resentment. Maybe she's feeling this because she's doing something very similar. And it's stuff that you, you, know, you may or may not have like knowledge or control over. But again, reframing a support and continuing to like communicate and stuff seems like a way to, like, uh, to continue to foster that growth. Um, has your communication together improved as you've kind of grown closer through this support? And, uh, and, and have you gone cl closer as a result of everything? Or, or are you having other issues? <laughs> um, yes and no. Okay. Um, I think that 
we both have our own personal internal struggles or uh -huh. um, hangups, I guess. Right. Um, and communication has always been, well, not always, um, most recently, I feel like been um, kind of a struggle for us. Uh -huh. And we are having to relearn a lot of things. Um, right. It's throwing the kids in there too um, is yeah. also a struggle um, um, because um, we have a two-year-old and a five-year-old and he works a day job. Um, so he gets home in the evening, we do dinner and um, I own my own business. So I do a lot of work in the evening or um, in the early morning. So mm -hmm. we really struggle with um, making time for each other um, right. and communicating. Um, we do a lot of communication through text, um, uh, which is a bad and a good thing. Um, bad because, you know, you're not getting um, the proper uh, tones or, I guess, um, right way to convey a message. Um, it's just black and white. Right. Um, but that still allows us to stay in communication. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a, a recent, I think, I wouldn't say problem, a recent uh, thing that we have been working on together. Yeah, that you've become aware of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, all of this kind of leads back to um, what I'm kind of trying to lead to, and it's not just me being a, a probing into the situation uh you know all of this is kind of leading to that identity and, and personal discovery and how you know how learning more about yourself is helping you to become more of a supportive partner would you say that's true and in, oh, in yeah. what ways absolutely um just being more self-aware um, of a lot of things. Um, I uh, sometimes even, not just in my relationship with him, but other people, mm -hmm. um, I come off as something that I'm not. Um, I may seem bitchy or aggressive or mm -hmm. bold um, or have a tone or a look um, right. that I don't realize that I am doing or that I have. So, um, that is something that I'm right now um, mm -hmm. working on. Um, even just, and I see it like when I do lives or when I communicate with people. Right. So uh, yes, being self-aware is a huge, huge thing for me. And it's still something as of right now that I'm working on mm -hmm. every day. As you're learning more about your personality, and um, I do want to ask about your Myers-Briggs type at some point, but we're going to go back to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, when, at, at, through this identity discovery, are you starting to learn uh, certain boundaries that you need to start setting for yourself in relation to either your relationship or other relationships with people uh, to kind of uh, change the way you communicate with people, whether that's to let more people in or less people in or to be more assertive with your partner versus maybe being a little bit more softer or less text communication versus more text communication. How is the identity seeking translated into, you know, behavioral shifts or, or where do you think it's going at least? I think, <clears throat> I think being self-aware of certain things allows me to um, engage with people the way that they need me to engage. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not who I am or I'm not fully being authentic all right. of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like I've ever struggled with boundaries. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I've struggled with, um, and I'm going to give an example. Um, I um, 
have a client that is a family member. Um, mm -hmm. And it's my first client that I've ever worked with as a family member. Mm -hmm. And she um, late paid me. She was paying me late. And uh -huh. so I um, was writing her an email um, to discuss it. And mm -hmm. I read it to my husband just to get his feedback. Uh -huh. And as soon as I read it, he's like, ooh, I don't know. And it's a little much. Um, right. And I really wasn't trying to be a certain way or have a tone or anything. Um, mm -hmm. but it really, um, I changed the email, um, mm -hmm. and made it a little bit softer. Okay. Um, I think people need me to be soft, more soft than I am sometimes. And I don't realize it because, um, I am not aware of how I'm making them feel or how they're taking the words that I'm saying sometimes. Right. Um, and it seems to me like it's just business. You know what I mean? It's not like meant to be bl blunt or bold or aggressive, but that's right. how it can come off. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, learning about your type, kind of helps you to, or you're learning about your identity rather has been helping you to kind of soften things when to you, it's like, this is the way I want people to do business with me. It's how I want to do business with them, but you know, uh, not everyone's the same. And that's sometimes the unfortunate reality. <laughs> right. Well, and what's, what's been great for me is, um, I am an extremely, um, authentic person. Um, uh, I'm not afraid to be who I am and show it um, in my lives or when I'm communicating with someone or building a relationship with someone. Right. And it has allowed me to get rid of fakers and get rid of people um, and not attract people who aren't, um, who don't dig that, I guess. Right. Um, right. So relationships now for me are much easier. Um, I can communicate much easier with people um, because there is no facade or bullshit. Um, mm. So yeah. Okay. So, so to kind of like uh, backtrack a little bit, I wanted to ask about the, uh, the kind of support groups for people who are also, you know, with someone who has dealt with any kind of addiction. Um, uh, what have you been gaining from those groups or, or, you know, what's that process been like to, find support in that sense for you and um, what have you been gaining from that? Um, so <clears throat> I have attended um, in person um, groups like Celebrate Recovery, which is usually done at churches, um, which is a great place to um, be with people who um, have a faith and celebrate that and have a safe place. Mm -hmm. um, I've also attended um, AA meetings or mm -hmm. NA meetings as well. Um, yeah. I personally, um, I didn't find those to be helpful for mm -hmm. me um, because it actually, it was really hard for me to sit through those meetings um, mm -hmm. because right. I haven't been in the shoes of um, the people attending the meetings. Right. Um, I believe that, people that attend meetings have a better sense of who they are and um, non-judgment, I think, a lot than most people, a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was really hard for me to relate to um, people. Right. So um, that's why I started going to therapy so that I could find, um, I guess, discuss something and not feel like I was making, one of my struggles was 
all these people have extreme, extreme struggles. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, what the hell am I doing here? Like my right. struggles are nothing compared to their struggles. Right. And not that I um, thought I was better than them or anything like that. I just felt like, really, I'm going to talk about this bullshit when they're <laughs> going through that bullshit. Right. Um, there are no physical in-person um, groups for spouses. Uh-huh. in my city mm-hmm. um, but there are in other cities uh, so I've reached out online and actually there are some online um, meetings mm-hmm. uh, that you communicate um, and actually I um, last week in the gorilla group um, my Thursday ask post mm-hmm. um, was for spouses of recovering alcoholics to reach out to me just to have um, gorillas um, who are like me, like-minded, um, and right. that's a safe community for me that I mm-hmm. could reach out to. Mm-hmm. And I have three, um, three people now that I can communicate with, um, text with, whatever, that have offered support and help. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, it seems like uh, community for you in some sense is, is pretty important. Has that something that has been important for you uh, throughout your life as you know, even before uh, uh, needing this for specific reasons? Um, no, actually. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it's funny. It, it should have been, but I mm-hmm. didn't realize how important it was until um, I started in the interdependence phase of my life um, right. and right. being online. Um, I think in high school and, you know, growing up, um, I was not the, clearly the same person that I am now. Um, I was fake and not authentic and right. not who I really was. And that's who I um, was friends with and attracted. And mm-hmm. um, not that I didn't like my life then I did, but I didn't realize. And I mean, of course it just comes, you know, with growing up and you know being mature and being more self-aware. Um, right. But I realize the importance of community now and in finding communities that I feel safe and um, heard and supported. Um, I wish that I could go back and have that earlier in my life. Um, I think think a lot of us feel that way about things. (laughs) (laughs) Plenty of things. Yeah. Right. Um, But even to talk, my family actually is a very supportive family. Um, I'm, extremely extremely close with my family i think Mm -hmm. more i know more so than most people um i uh facetime and talk to my mom at least six or seven times a day um my little brother was present in the delivery room with both of my children um which is a really weird thing (laughs) um but um I have that support, that family support system, um, mm-hmm. that non-judgmental support system that I think that a lot of people lack. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that I wasn't actively seeking support from a community because I had that within my family. That makes sense. Uh, uh, that, that totally makes sense. Um, yeah, I think plenty of us have had plenty of situations in our youth, especially as teenagers that were like, I don't. I, you know, you feel so sure about yourself and then you become older and you're like, who was that person? Uh, so, you know, that kind of raises the question of, of like, throughout all of this identity seeking, uh, has there any, been anything that has like been revealed about yourself that you're, you, you were surprised by? 
I thought I was non-judgmental. Um, I thought that um, I was pre really accepting, um, but in all actuality, I was judgy as shit. Um, uh. <laughs> and um, not in a bad way. And it's funny because I judge, I judge people or I was judging people that um, had a lot of money and did a lot of things for show and mm -hmm. lived their life a, a certain way. Um, right. I actually live um, and my daughter attends a school um, in a pretty good part of town where we live. Um, so there are a lot of people who have a lot of nice things, spend a lot of money, um, do a lot of shit for show and mm -hmm. here I'm judging right. them. Um, <laughs> and I judge them and I'm like, really? And so um, my daughter, I allow her to wear what she wants to school, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't match. Um, I allow her to do a lot of things um, because she feels good about it and it gives her confidence. Mm -hmm. And um, it's funny because I feel like um, maybe other people are judging her, like moms or what teachers or whatever are judging her or me um, because I let that happen. Mm -hmm. And um, once I got to the level that I give no fucks about what people <laughs> think. Mm -hmm. um, it really made it easy. Um, as long as I'm fostering the confidence and um, my daughter's happiness, um, that really is all that mattered to me. Right. So that kind of, I can't help but start to think about like the Myers-Briggs stuff. Like it's so stuck yeah, in my head no, at this point. Um, so I think I saw that you were an ENFP. Is that yeah. correct? Yep. Okay. Because like, it's interesting because throughout, I was trying to recall what that was, but throughout the conversation, you know, saying that you're, you were kind of like thinking you were a non-judgmental type and then kind of a judgmental type and how like you can be harsh sometimes. Like that sounds more of like an ENG, ENTJ kind of thing or something that's a little bit more uh, robotic and cold. But, um, you know, what's interesting about the ENFPs is like, uh, uh, I think because you were so fostered and nurtured when you were younger, that you kind of allowed yourself to be a little bit more judgmental of everyone outside of your circle. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the functions of ENFPs is extroverted thinking, which is like your dominant judging function. So, you know, when you're judging, you, it comes out very extroverted, like you're just being very outward and, and open about it. But that FI, which is the second function for you, is your identity seeking function. Um, and that makes sense that like, kind of honing into your identity has kind of helped you feel a lot more centered. And, you know, it makes more sense, you know, when you start talking about like allowing your kids to just wear whatever they want and people who are a little bit too stiff, you know, you're judgy about that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you just want to kind of be a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, novelty focused and free and playing and having a good time as opposed to, you know, being so stuck in, in all of these difficult specific life situations or, or, something like that. So, which is why it makes a, a valid uh, question to be, to, to ask about the, uh, the resentment stuff, because mm -hmm. it can stifle creativity, it can stifle uh, being playful, you know, it can stifle uh, your identity seeking. So it does sound like you're on the right path. Um, and, um, you know, have you looked into Myers-Briggs for, uh, or any other type of, um, you know, identity seeking tools online to learn a little bit more about who you are and apply it to yourself? 
Um, I uh, just took the Myers-Briggs, I think, a couple of months ago. Um, it really wasn't something that I had done before. Right. Um, I read a little bit about it. Um, I um, am just started getting into um, kind of mindset, personality type of things to foster um, being on the right path. Right. Um, I know how good it feels to not harbor resentment and mm -hmm. how good, how freeing it is. Um, and to be self-aware, like really, why am I letting that, you know, bother me or right. like who gives a shit? Um, right. So much more, I don't know, comfortable and happy. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, um, I have a list of books that I am interested in um, and things that I want to learn about more. And that definitely is something that I am going to pursue. Cool. Because it'll help me, I think, level up as a person and understand um, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and foster the things that are good and maybe mm -hmm. um, revisit the things that I can work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something we can talk a little bit off air because, you know, that's not really what this podcast is focused on. But but I really kind of go into that occasionally because it's a it's an it's a method for learning more about yourself. You know, for me, I've always identified as someone who has cyclothymia, which is a low grade bipolar disorder. But learning more about my personality type, which is an INTP has helped me kind of differentiate like what things are mental disorders versus like what is just my personality <laughs> and uh, and how am I stifling certain things and letting that bring up this repression and creating uh, uh, difficult situations for myself. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the advantage of, of learning through that. It's, you know, it's, it's no different than any other tool that you can learn to learn about or use to learn about yourself. Uh, you know, some people go to spirituality and more woo things. They'll go to like, uh, you know, religion or um, even like tarot cards or astrology as a means to like prompt things in yourself, like find out more about who I am and how this relates to myself. And I think the important overarching thing here in this conversation is the fact that learning more about yourself has helped you care more about other people, especially those closest to you. Um, so um, really, I think that's a good place to kind of start to wrap up. Um, uh, I guess give give us a chance to uh, to hear more about you know the whole unfuck yourself direction where that's going what type of people you want to help and how they can get a hold of you. Sure, um, I am currently rebranding, so um, my I have a Facebook page, a business page. My business is called Flourish, mm -hmm. um, which I play on that F with the unfuck yourself. Right, um, and. Um, I hopefully will be rebranded uh, by next week. We'll have all of my information, exactly what I do, um, how I do it. Um, I schedule um, an audit call uh, first uh, to just kind of talk about what struggles or habits or mm. you know hangups you're having. Um, but yeah, you can reach me on Facebook. Send me a message. That's how you can find me. Cool. Sounds good. Anything else you'd like to add to the conversation before we wrap up? Thank you so much for having me. This yeah, awesome. this, is, this has been really great. I really appreciate your your candidness and openness about everything. And sorry if I pry too much. No, I'm <laughs> open. Really, okay. I mean, it's important, I feel like, to discuss things so that, you know, if someone else is feeling a certain way or has um, something going on, it's really important to, to be that voice uh, for them. Yeah. I think if anyone has any questions, uh, you know, leave questions in the comments or on a voice message on Anchor or wherever it is that you're listening to this. 
leave a review, whatever. And um, with that, I think we'll wrap up. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. Thanks. See you guys. Bye. Okay. So welcome to the show. I hope you guys are doing well. I'm your host, C-Note. And um, today I want to talk about infidelity because it is a topic that uh, it's, it's kind of vulnerable for me because it's unfortunately something that I have done and something that I'm not very proud of, honestly. Um, and I could look at my mental health history and blame it on that. I could blame it on my being immature. I could, I could blame it on the other person. I could blame it on the person that made me do it, quote unquote, <laughs> or blame it on the, I don't know, social media or blame it on anything. And fact is at the end of the day, it's something that I've done. It's something that is a part of who I am. I wouldn't say it's a part of who I am. It doesn't define my identity. It comes up in conversation sometimes and something that I feel like it's important in my current relationship to have mentioned that I, that it's something that I've done, but she's also understanding of the circumstances. And I constantly break down a lot of um, what I was thinking in those moments to really be clear about, you know, the providing a sense of security within her and I's relationship right now. Um, so infide- infidelity as it relates to mental health is really interesting in, in the sense that I've, you know, I talked about it kind of in the, in the context of like violence and mental health, you know, violence is, can be a symptom of mental health, but it's also a part of, it, it's not a symptom of mental health. It's more of a simple, a, a symptom of bad poor upbringing (laughs) and the same way infidelity can be similar to that. Um, It could certainly accentuate certain behaviors or certain ways of being, but it's still an individual's responsibility to better themselves from the perspective of mental health or, uh, uh, you know, not to be a violent person, to not be abusive, to not cheat on your partner, to, you know, not get yourself fired at work, things like that or to be clear about the things that you need to address your mental health needs. Um, you know, some of the issues that I've had in my past when, in regards to infidelity, uh, personally were emotional safety issues, meaning I did not feel comfortable with the person I was with. And therefore I, instead of ending the relationship I was in, which admittedly is a cowardly move to not be honest about my emotions, it was something that, um, led me into the arms of another person. Um, and sometimes it was just emotional. Um, there was a, there were a few instances of this, um, occurring, occurring in my life. Um, some were emotional. There were some physical things. And in those cases, it was all about the, either the high of the experience in comparison to the life I was living at the time or the, emotional connection with someone that I didn't feel like I was getting with the person I was with and mixed with that high of, of getting attention from someone that I was not supposed to get attention from. So mixed with like the mania aspect, 
So it's going to be difficult to navigate this because I'm, I want to be clear that I'm not using my mental health as an excuse for this behavior. It was not a good choice in any circumstance, in any case. And the point being that with the, the talking about my mania is that I was going through a lot of destructive behavior and part of that destructive behavior of mania is ruining my personal relationships. If things were going good, if things felt like they were stable, there was just something in my brain that told me to jump uh, or to do something to change it up or to sabotage it. Um, Also mixed with the idea that when I was a kid, I didn't get a lot of attention from women. So when I did at a later age, I like, I I would absorb it from wherever it came. You know, I didn't want to just dismiss it and say like, Oh, that's cool. I wanted to be like, Oh, all right. Well, (laughs) what can I do with this? You know? And that was not, um, a healthy perspective. You know, it wasn't healthy for me to, to play around in this relationship within the relationship I was, I was in, you know, um, and be able to say like, I'm not happy with this or I'm not happy with the mundanity of the relationship I'm in, or there's something that there's some need that it's not being met within this relationship and I needed it somewhere else. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't good for me to do that. It wasn't fair to the other person, of course. Uh, that's pretty obvious. I think people agree to that. And it wasn't fair for me to use that as the thing for me to, take my, to get my jollies off on, you know, it wasn't fair for me to use that as the mania thing. And I think it was the combination of the mania mixed with that previous, that younger male experience of, of not getting a lot of attention so that when I started to get attention, I wanted to feed on it and that's not healthy. You know, I was definitely immature, um, and was approaching a lot of, um, uh, you know, those situations with that common combination of that mindset and really not valuing my own personal life very much. So while I loved the person I was with, I was also very, very much able to convince myself that like, well, if they don't know, it's fine, <laughs> you know, and it's, that's not cool, first of all. And because, you know, for me being a person that I've always been a bit morally ambiguous, especially when I was younger, meaning I was okay doing stuff and not feeling bad about it. Um, particularly when it came to infidelity, I, I had a lot of bad habits when it came to like stealing things or minor vandalism, stuff like that. And, uh, never got caught for anything. I always thought I could use my intelligence to get away with stuff. And I think some of that was part of the allure was how do I navigate this in a way that doesn't get me caught, you know? And I think that was also satisfying in a way that wasn't, you know, it's not good, but I I think that was part of the allure of it for me and finding that satisfaction again, that hit that a lot of us who are dealing with any kind of mania knows or ADHD or anything that, that involves getting like a, like a dopamine hit is all about um, finding the next thing. And I think for me, it was a combination of things that was getting me into my flow state. That means I was able to 
I was trying to trick not only the person I was with to not catch me doing this stuff, but it was about trying to uh, convince the person that I was cheating with that it was morally okay to do this with me because it was like a, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity between us or something, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was a momentary thing and we needed to take advantage of the moment and stuff like that. You know, all of the things that like dudes do to try to convince girls to sleep with them, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm no, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm totally, you know, I've been douchey in that sense. And I totally admit that. So I think part of it was the, the high of being able to pull that off. And cause I really did. I liked the process. I remember at the time I liked the way that it felt. I like, you know, and I'm sure everyone does at the time, you know, it's exciting. It's you're getting away with something, you know, you're, you're, and it's not, it doesn't feel like you're trying to hurt the other person. You know, that's the, that's the thing. Um, it never felt like I was doing it in spite of the other person, but it was like for me and satiating what my brain wanted, because it was never really about the physical body feeling, you know, I could, if I wanted to just feel good, I could just go masturbate or something, you know, <laughs> like it's, it wasn't about that for me. It was about the, the, the cognitive connection uh, with someone and trying to, it was about being wanted, you know, because it was mixed with the idea that when I was a kid, uh, when I was younger, teenager, I didn't get a lot of attention. So when I started to get that attention and I started to feel wanted, it's like you get this high wanted from more than just the person you're with, because you've already quote unquote conquered that, you know, it feels like, you know, what else can you do? And it's, again, it's really messed up. It's not a good I'm not saying it's good at all. It was not good for me to do that. Um, but I remember feeling that the most exciting part of it was like feeling like I can get away with it because I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do. That's kind of the story of my life. I want to do what I want without someone stopping me and getting in trouble or any kind of consequences. You know, like I wanted to sleep with this person once because I was really excited about it. And I like the way that their brain works or I like some emotional connection or I like something and I wanted to express that, but I didn't want it to affect any kind of long-term thing. And I, I think I convinced myself that I was able to pull that off. And, um, you know, there was, I mean, I, I still haven't gotten caught, which is messed up, but, uh, it's not something that I'm, I'm not coming out and admitting this to anyone. Sorry. Don't ask questions. <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, I, I, I do feel a sense of shame about it. I, I feel shame, not about the, like the person I was with, because obviously it's like bad. And I, I it wasn't about, because it wasn't about that. It wasn't about me. It was about, about what was I missing that made me want to do this, you know, because it wasn't about, I didn't care about the other person's perception, meaning the person that I was with, I didn't care about their perception uh, because I felt confident enough to not get caught. So I didn't think about that. I haven't considered that. I, I haven't even thought about that, honestly. Um, and Cause I always felt like I could talk my way through things and, and find a way to like, uh, do logical gymnastics to find my way through or in or out of, out of a situation, no pun intended. And, um, so 
the the struggle that I've really been thinking about or have is like, why? Why did I want to do that? Especially if it's not about blatantly hurting the other person, then what's going on with me subconsciously? It's a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about in terms of uh, um, my relationship with women. Uh, and I have, you know, no great way of saying this without sounding douchey, but I have great love and respect for women. And it wasn't about trying to quote unquote trick women to sleep with me. It was just about feeling a sense of validation for myself. And I think having a woman feel like she could give herself to me. That sounds creepy. I don't mean it that way, but I mean like to want me to want to be with me, to connect with me, to be sexual with me felt like the ultimate validation for me. And that may be true for many other men. Um, but they may feel that about the partner with they're, they're with. And I felt like I was supposed to feel that with the partner I was with. So at multiple points, like I would still go and do the thing, but it would make me very much think about my relationship and think about why, why do I even have this thought first and foremost? And I know that there are many variables, you know, in thinking about the fact that I'm, I'm a dude, we are generally trying to quote unquote, spread our seed and, and, you know, going to as many ladies as possible. I get that aspect, but I'm also an intelligent human being. I consider myself somewhat intelligent. Um, but I felt like I was giving myself to the whim of my instincts in a way that was unhealthy. And my instincts being driven by mental illness doesn't help anything either because it makes me search for that high even more. So I felt like the high was way more potent than any semblance of feeling bad that I could ever have or ever experience. And, um, you know, that could be very much unique to me, could be unique to my brain chemistry, unique to how I grew up. Um, and again, not saying that any of this was okay because it really wasn't. Um, but I felt like the way that I could get through it, the way that I could grow from it and not do it again was to learn, you know, what caused me to do it, you know, um, whether it was women, whether it was my mental health, maybe it was the, um, desire. Maybe at the time I wasn't feeling like I was getting enough affirmation from my relationship or from the people around me. Maybe I wasn't feeling like I was, um, using my natural brain talents in the way that I wanted to, I, or I didn't have the room or the opportunity. Maybe there was things in my relationship that got stale. Maybe there were, you know, there's points in relationships where expectations come in and, um, it can be really hard to feel a sense of novelty within a relationship that you've had for a very long time. So, and being someone who, part of my mental illness is that seeking of novelty mixed with my personality type being an INTP. My secondary function is extroverted intuition, which is very focused on novelty and going with the flow and optimism. So, um, but I, I ended up using it in a way that was not good for me or, or not maybe, I mean, it's hard to say because I felt like it was good for me at the time, but that's a very physical thing. You know, it's very much in the moment. I don't feel a sense of regret for doing any of that stuff because it ultimately taught me things. But if you continue to do it, then that's, that's the problem, right? And uh, if you're someone who is currently in a 
infidelitous situation, if you're someone who is with a partner and you don't know how to communicate with them, or there's something where your needs are not getting met, you need to address it with that person. And part of the problem that I had was being an introvert and being an introverted thinker. I was not always the greatest at communicating my feelings, being able to ask the right questions, being able to get the answers from someone that I felt like I really needed in order to feel valued and safe in the relationship. So instead of actually continuing to try to figure something out or to leave the person, I would just be like, you know what? I'm going to appreciate the safety that's within this relationship and go seek the novelty outside of it. And that was not, it's not good. It's not something that really anyone should do. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the person that you're cheating with. It's not fair to the person you're cheating on, you know, especially if the person you're cheating with wants a relationship, what do you, what do you do from there? You know, things get, it makes things way more complicated than it needs to be. And if the reason for cheating is to feel a personal high, then it's no different than, you know, shooting up heroin or eating too much food or doing something else that is unhealthy for you. And realizing that it's not about being with this new person because it's not about being with, it's about getting that momentary high versus, and, and, you know, the high for me was also the conversations, you know, the sneakiness, the affirmations. Um, if you're seeking all of those things, as opposed to wanting to spend time with this person outside of those things, then, you know, there's, there's, there are just things to consider in terms of long-term and short-term, you know, it's not fair to the person you're with because you're not just, you're not just avoiding yourself of the opportunity to be with this new person. You're avoiding them the opportunity to be with someone that would be able to click with them better and appreciate them. You know, it's, I've always said within anything that I talk about within it, when it comes to relationships, it is, it is one person, another person, and then the third entity that is the combination of the two things in the relationship. And sometimes that third thing just doesn't mix to be a good thing. And you have to be honest with that. And sometimes that's, that's part of it. You know, change is scary. I have always been, it's always been hard for me to let go of things. Uh, relationships are not personally. And it has been, um, it, it's been, it's been really hard. I feel like I've pushed through things for longer than I need to. And it, it causes me, I shouldn't say it causes me. It doesn't make me do anything, but it makes me think about, you know, it, it's, it has me consider that I can still have the things that I like about this and fill in the gaps with something else. Again, no pun intended. Um, so I, I, I've, I think part of it too, and it's something that I have with my current relationship is I think I didn't have enough self-worth to feel like I could have the total package, meaning having someone that is like lovely and smart and talented and sexy and, uh, gives me affirmations and speaks to me all the time and is there for me. Um, I just, I don't think I felt like I could have all of those things at once. So 
And I think that's common for a lot of relationships. I think a lot of people feel like, oh, this is the best I'm going to get. I better appreciate it. Or I can find a way to fill in the gaps of this relationship with another person or uh, types of friends that could do this. And, and honestly, like in relationships, you can do that sometimes when it comes to friendships. Like if you have a friend that, you know, say you like, you really love video games, for example, and your partner is not a big video game fan, but they support you and they don't stop you from playing video games, but you think it would be really nice to be able to play games with them, but they don't really have interest in it. So you can, you know, find friends or a group or something to satiate that, you know, it's healthy to have your own aspects of your life, but you can't really do that when it comes to like sex. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's about being monogamous and being respectful to your partner, unless you have, you know, some predetermined polyamory situation, but that's not what this is about. You know, infidelity is all about breaking those established rules when it comes to uh, affection and attention typically physically and emotionally uh, to the person that you're with. So if you break that social contract, uh, you know, you can't, you can't go and satiate that somewhere else. You know, that's something you need to work on with your partner. Uh, but there are other practical things in life that you can. So, um, but I, I think, I think that's the trouble that a lot of us face is like feeling like we are worthy of all of it. And, it's kind of amazing that I feel like I have all of that, especially having a sh an episode like this where I'm kind of revealing that I've been less than stellar in my past. Um, you know, if there was any kind of karmic, that's kind of the reason I don't believe in karma. Cause I feel like if karma existed, it would totally, I would be in the ground right now. So, you know, I feel like things are, have been working out in my favor. I feel like I have a partner that sa satiates all of those things um, and I don't put pressure on her to be the one that has to do that. You know, it, it involves my personal growth as well. It involves me being able to exhibit and be that for her as well. And I've been learning that with time. I've been learning that with, as I mature and grow, that it is a two-way street, of course. And we've been really great at connecting with one another in terms of talking uh, about everything, being real about it, even if it's uncomfortable. And it's really the only time I've been able to do that without a fear of walking on eggshells or um, any kind of closed mindedness or anything like that. It's been really wonderful. So, uh, you know, while I've made mistakes in my past, um, I know to not do that again. That's not something I want. I know that if it's, if I ever feel that kind of urge, cause I'm familiar with that urge that I will know how to address it. So, um, Hopefully that will help you. I mean, I talked about myself a lot. <laughs> I don't know if you're a person who has experienced this. Maybe it could help you understand a person that you, you know, you've been cheated on by someone. And I think it is important to understand that it's never about the person who's being cheated on. I think if the person who's doing it has some things they have to work through and they have to fix. And I think if they do say they love you, they love you and they care about you, but they don't know how to use it. <laughs> and they don't know how to keep it within the relationship. And again, it's not about making an excuse for that type of person. They need to grow. They need to change. And sometimes they need to let you go. But, um, you know, I, I think in terms of the, the one being cheated on to not let it affect their own self-worth because it, it isn't about you not being enough. 
the people that I was with at the time when these things happened, like I loved those people. I loved that I was with them. I love who they are as a person. I still love and respect them as people. Um, and I know that's hard to hear and say like, well, you fucking did this. Like what that doesn't, again, it wasn't about them. It was about me. It was about me working through my stuff. It was about me trying to learn more about who I am and, and realize that I'm pretty messed up and I have been trying to fix that for a very long time. And so they've had the opportunity to, to grow, to meet new people, to create a situation that has been good for them. And I wish them all the best. And that's what I want for them. So, um, and, and I'm trying to do the same for me, you know, so that I don't feel like I, I, I need to do that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I'm constantly shifting and growing and changing. We all make mistakes. We all do bad things. I don't say we all do bad things, but you know, sometimes we make mistakes and the best thing that we could do as people is to continue to try to grow from them and be a better person tomorrow than we were today. So who that was kind of hard. <laughs> that was a lot of, that was a lot of heavy stuff to talk about. I've never really spoken about that in any kind of public way. So, uh, let's hopefully this doesn't go bad, <laughs> but honestly, uh, I'm comfortable talking about it because I feel like I've been growing from it and, um, you know, being able to take all those principles and apply it to my life and current relationship. And, you know, the big thing, the big major takeaway, and I want to reiterate this is that if you're someone who has been cheated on, understand that most likely it was not about you. You did not do something to make them cheat on you. You were not too ugly. You were not unsexy. You were not unintelligent. You were not uncaring enough. Uh, you know, you were, you were, you are enough, you know, you just have to be enough to the right person. They weren't ready to appreciate you. I wasn't ready to appreciate them as people. And, um, you know, I see the value in them. I was with them for a reason, you know, and I took that for granted and I paid the price by losing them, you know, some, some and some, I'd say some, but like two really are people that I don't converse with anymore. And it's pretty sad. So, um, you know, these are things that you deal with in life and you, you move on. So with that, I'm going to end this very heavy episode, <laughs> at least heavy for me. Um, and, uh, let me know what you guys think of this episode. If you have any questions, please leave a voice message or hit me up and rival my design on all the social channels. I have Myers-Briggs courses up. If you go to super, uh, super training, you can check out the advanced course or go to cnote.media. I have all my courses up there for podcasting and Myers-Briggs personal development. There's a personal development free course called, um, Myers-Briggs easy mode to kind of give you the introductory idea of Myers-Briggs and help you understand your personality type to be able to move forward in life. So, um, with that, uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. If you haven't already leave a positive review, I would really, really love that. And, um, you know, take care of yourselves and each other and, uh, keep on moving on this path of life. You know, try to just be a little bit better than you were today, tomorrow or whatever. You know what I mean? All right. I'm going to go. I'll see you guys. Take care of yourselves. See ya. Bye. Okay. Later. Peace out. Bye. Hi again. Welcome back. Welcome to the show.
C-Note here, your host. Today on the show, I wanted to talk about mood disorders and the energy shift from creativity and raw energy into mania. Meaning, for me, there's this there's this shift, and I'm sure anyone who has any kind of mania or cyclothymia or bipolar disorder can relate to this shift from feeling like you're doing good, feeling like you're you're kind of like you feel normal and then you start to make plans or you're coming up with a lot of ideas or you're starting to feel like there is endless possibilities and you start doing those things. You start writing stuff down. You start um, looking at the possibilities that are in front of you and you start looking at them as like real actual things that you can accomplish and you can do. And it starts off innocent enough. It starts out as something that you feel really good about. You're like, you know what? I got this. You know, there's, you start to feel like you have a really great idea and you might literally even start jumping on it and uh, doing the work, not literally jumping on it. That's not how literally works. I have to stop doing that. (laughs) But uh, to, you know, get to work on something and just have at it. You know, you feel really good. You feel great about the idea and you're just going. But at what point do you start to feel like it's more than what you can handle? And I think that is the important part. I think for many of those of us who are dealing with mania tend to have the issue because we keep a lot of things in our heads. Meaning even if we write a lot of stuff down, we are still very much cognizantly aware of where we could take something. We can write down an idea and then it goes from this to this and this, maybe work out a ton of details. Um, I've had days where I've, so I had one day in particular where I was at a coffee shop. I was at Starbucks or something. And my plan was to spend a few hours doing like website work or something. But then I heard a song that I was listening to. It was, um, uh, like, a a royalty free, like chiptune type song. And then I got suddenly inspired. I got suddenly like, Oh, this would be really cool as the background music for this type of video game. And then I started thinking about the video game and what it would look like, how it would behave, how, what the mechanics would be and imagining the music in that scenario. And then I started to, write that down. And I was like, okay, this music. And I saved the link in like a Trello board or something. And I was like, this link equals this music for this type of stage or whatever. And then I started listening to other music and started to veer off and make up more stages. Like I had different ideas. And then I had this idea to start making a video game or to make a video game about my life <laughs> and make it like a side scroller beat em up. And all of this music would fit really well as the backdrop for this stuff. And what I realized I was doing was like emotional parsing, but it was mania taking over to completely distract me from what I was doing. It could have been ADHD. I haven't really been diagnosed for anything like that yet, but um, I got completely distracted, started going down this crazy, crazy rabbit hole And I spent the next three hours writing down and mapping out a video game that I'm pretty sure I was never going to make. But (laughs) I had at the time 
this unending sense of optimism for making this thing. This was something that I really, really wanted. And I thought it was a great fun idea. And I was just going for it. But, uh, and, and that happens a lot of the time. That happens with ideas that I get for businesses. That get that happens for with things I get ideas for, like personal social things too. Like, oh, we can go this, we can plan this, we can go here, we can do this. And typically one of the first signs of that shows up when I am... I am simply not taking time into account, meaning I'm not thinking about a timeline as to when I can accomplish this or not considering my energy because there's only so much I can do in a day. There's only so much anyone can do in a day. We all have 24 hours. We've all got to figure something out and we need to sleep for a third of that. So um, it's pretty important for, uh, wait, a fourth of that. Yeah, eight times Anyway, <laughs> um, the idea there is that we're not considering the time that we're dedicating to this. We're not being realistic about the time we have to dedicate to an idea um, or the emotions attached to it. And a lot of the time mania starts to peak when it comes to like unending optimism. For me, it feels like I can take over the world. I feel this sense of like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to kill it. It's going to be great. And, um, you know, I'll never stop and I'll never, ever, ever stop. But, um, I'm actually going to cut this off and continue it because Molly's home. But, um, the idea is that it feels really great and we're going to, we're going to pick it up in a second. Okay. So we're, we're back at it. Sorry. Molly came home. I wanted to give her attention and make sure that, uh, all was good there. But now we're back at it. She's just stepped out. And I wanted to continue this conversation about converting or understanding the transition from natural raw energy into mania. And really the mania part starts to seep in so in a way that you can't always see coming. And that's the hard part is like it's it's for me, it's it's always been like a retrospect thing. It's always been like a uh, oh, this is when mania started. <laughs> and uh, mania really becomes obvious to me when I start to feel bad about things. When I start to feel like I have this restless, raw energy, and I don't know where to put it, or I feel like I'm worthless because I haven't been able to fulfill all of these promises that I've made to myself while in the early stages of mania. And it's hard because you don't want to stop yourself from feeling like, you can accomplish things. You know, you want that optimism. You want to be able to do stuff. You want to be able to uh, plan and have hope for the future and do stuff. But I think what happens is we get to the point where we start to have a day where we can't do it. Like we get preoccupied or we start to feel tired one day, our sleep schedule may be changed or something. And we can't fulfill those obligations that we started to promise ourselves that we could fulfill. And the immediate feeling that I feel when I am not able to keep the flow going is feeling defeated and feeling a sense of disappointment with myself, feeling worthless and hopeless, feeling just a yeah complete sense of defeat. Like I'm, I am bad at this. 
I don't know what I'm doing. Why would I even plan this? And I start down like a destructive tear <laughs> and I start to sort of evaluate everything that I've been doing. And I suddenly feel like, why am I even doing this? What is this even worth? Like, why is this even worth it? Why did I plan this? Why did I do this? And, um, you know, for me, that's, it's scary when you're in it because you're like, damn it, I did it again. And it was because it's a cycle, right? So it's like, damn it, it happened again. And I didn't see it coming. And it's always such a blinding, annoying thing. And um, I, I think the early stages are important to try to catch yourself and consistently remind yourself that there's only so much time in a day and there is only so much that you can do. You might feel bursts of energy. You might feel bursts of wanting to be something more than you are, but it doesn't mean you have to fulfill or fill every nook and cranny of time and energy that you have. And um, so what I do think is important is to like maybe organize things into lists if you feel like you want to get it out, but don't create these over uh, the, this overwhelming sense of having to achieve these things within a certain time frame, or um, you know, don't attach your own self worth to it. I know that's harder; it's like easier said than done. But the general idea I feel is like to to give yourself this opportunity to get it all out to work through it because there's nuggets of beauty within it. You know, there's a lot of great ideas that have come from mania, but really mania is associated with the crash, right? It's, it's about selling yourself on these grand ideas and then not being able to do it. And that is when it starts to feel like you feel terrible, but your body still wants to keep going. Your brain still wants to keep going. I find that I have a hard time sleeping in mania. Um, I'm trying to fulfill uh, dopamine hits, you know, trying to get any kind of satisfaction anywhere that I can, whether it's like sexual or with food or video games or something that makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something or feeling something and, you know, getting that physical feeling, that brain hit of, um, of, of doing something like that. Um, so it's like, it's almost like you have to slowly wean yourself off as opposed to continuing to make it go faster and faster, because the more you continue to satiate that feeling, the harder the crash is going to be, at least in my experience, that's what it's felt like as I continue to do more things that are like, great, this is great. I wrote this down. I accomplished this thing. I did this thing. And there just becomes a point where you physically can't continue to go faster. You just can't. It's like running on a treadmill and the only the speed keeps going up without your control. You can't stop it at a certain point. It's just going to keep going up. And at first you're like, okay, this is good. I'm doing all right. And then it keeps going up and you're like, I can, I can handle this. This is fine. This is making me stronger. Actually, this is going to make me better. And then it just keeps going up and it's like, ah, why can't I? keep up with this when it's actually the treadmill that's going faster, faster than what you're physically capable of. But since you fall down, you get mad at yourself for not being able to keep up as opposed to getting mad at the treadmill for being broken, you know? <laughs> so it's um, certainly important to do what you can to not beat yourself up about it. 
and be realistic about the expectations that you place on yourself and be realistic about, um, you know, your, your feelings and emotions that come from mania or come from all of this raw pro- creative productive energy. Cause you know, I think a lot of people would say like, man, I wish I could keep up with this, you know, cause it feels good. It really does at first. It feels like, it feels like you can take over the world. It feels like you can do anything. It feels like you can have a podcast five days a week. And then, and then you have to fulfill the responsibility and you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, this is hard, <laughs> but you know, just consistently check in with yourself, even within mania, even if you feel like things are going good, just stop and be like, all right, we accomplished that, but do we need to keep going? And instead of just, you know, letting mania take over, you know, use that productivity for good, or even have someone check in on you, you know, have someone work with you, have someone, um, see if you're okay. You know, Molly's been really great at being able to see when I start to get into mania when I start to feel like I'm, she, she sees it as like something in your chemistry just seems to change. Like I start to come up with a whole bunch of ideas and I start to strip away ideas seemingly frivolously, like something that I was extremely excited about two months ago. Suddenly I'm like, you know what? That sucks. I'm done with it. And then just move on. And she's like, you just gave it up like nothing. (laughs) So what's going on there? And uh, she'll ask me questions, which is really helpful. And I, I do appreciate that she does that. Um, so, you know, sometimes having someone in your life to ask you those questions or to even make them aware of the signs of mania so that they can, like, ask you to slow down, you know, or to just, like, stop and check in. Or if even if you start to feel this sense of, like, I can do anything, uh, this overwhelming sense of confidence, maybe, like, set reminders on your phone, like asking yourself, like, is this mania? So like five hours from now, set a reminder. And then like tomorrow, is this mania? And just making sure like that you're making, you know, rational decisions that won't make long-term, you know, negative effects on your life. Uh, Because, you know, we're susceptible when we're in mania, we're susceptible to making big life changes in a way that could um, become regrets later down the line. So it's important to to assess that, to be there for yourself and to let others be there for you. So um, that's it. That kind of covers what I wanted to talk about when it comes to understanding your mood disorder energy from shifting from creative energy to raw energy. I think someone on Facebook uh, recommended this topic and uh, I think it was a really good idea. So I'm, I'm happy to have spoken about this. And as I, you know, as I catch myself within mania, hopefully I can do more um, episodes on it. I feel like I've been more of in a depressive state lately. So kind of hard to bring that out and really talk about it, but uh, I'm still doing things. But as I get into a place where I'm, I'm, I'm using more energy, I can kind of talk about it as it's happening and you guys can learn a little bit about it. So um, with that, uh, we're going to wrap up. If you go to cnote.media, you can check out my courses that I have for podcasting and for Myers-Briggs courses. If you want to jump straight into the advanced course, you can go to supermbti.training and uh, purchase the advanced course. But there is also a free course at cnote.media to uh, learn the basics of Myers-Briggs so you can start to learn about 
your own personal type development or the people around you in your life. And then also I have, uh, if you subscribe to dopamine.life and leave a review, I would be eternally happy about that. It would give me a dopamine hit and feel really good. Um, and that's all I got going on right now. So if you have any questions about this topic, hit me up with a voice message here on anchor or, uh, send me a message at rival my design on Twitter or Instagram. And with that, I'll catch you guys later. Take care of yourselves and each other. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to dopamine. I really appreciate it. If you thought this was a dope show, then you should wait until next week. But also while you wait, you should go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a positive review. Positive reviews help me to uh, fill up my dopamine tank. Otherwise, you can send your friends to dopamine.life to listen to the show or hi, my name is Christian.com to get the latest updates. I'll catch you later.